This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yes, happy to. Um, the first thing to say, I guess, is that GDPR enforcement is still on the up. We are more than one4 billion euros in fines now and last year was the biggest year on record for fines and this year uh, is certainly matching that if not exceeding it in terms of the fines. That was Jonathan Armstrong. In this episode of Life with GDPR we take up a fine and penalty against a UK law firm Tuckers who sustained a ransomware attack. It points up the need to have a robust data protection system in place to test that data protection system, to be sure and do a DPIA to assess your data protection risks. It's a fascinating case. Every law firm needs to study this. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong for another episode. Jonathan, first of all, welcome back. Thanks very much, Tom. Thanks for setting this up. Jonathan, uh, we recently had a uh, data breach action uh, involving a law firm in the United Kingdom called Tuckers. Could you tell us about that and what lessons you've drawn from it? Yes, happy to. Um, The first thing to say, I guess, is that GDPR enforcement is still on the up. We are more than 1.4 billion euros in fines now and last year was the biggest year on record for fines and this year uh, is certainly matching that if not exceeding it in terms of the fines uh, to date and this is a relatively low fine in that context but one that I think has got wider lessons from uh, for those who, who listen into these podcasts And it concerns a ransomware attack. And it's a ransomware attack using the uh, Conti ransomware. So what happened is uh, Tuckers are a firm of lawyers based in the UK. They claim to be the UK's leading criminal defence lawyers. And according to their website, they specialise in uh, criminal law, civil liberties and regulatory proceedings. Now, they became aware of a ransomware attack 
on August 24th, 2020. And they got a ransomware note the same day. On 25th August, they told the UK Data Protection Regulator, the ICO, that their backups had also been encrypted. And they, uh, as a result, determined that the attack had resulted in a data breach. Now, it's important to remember at this stage, as we've said before, that whenever there is ransomware involved, then even if the attackers don't take data, you can be under an obligation under GDPR to report it to the Data Protection Authority if that data is unavailable. So Tucker's thought they had an unavailability breach, which is a personal breach, and they reported it to the ICO, the UK Data Protection Authority. And um, the attacker had encrypted uh, over 970,000 files, of which just under 25,000 related to court bundles. They then found out that 60 of those court bundles had been exfiltrated by the uh, attackers. So the gang had taken those files away and they released them on the dark web. This is very common. The majority of ransomware attacks include exfiltration and gangs take the information to try and uh, exert extra leverage to get the organization to pay the ransom. And the files included personal data and sensitive personal data, partly because they related to these uh, criminal court cases. Now, Tucker's told the ICO that part of the reason for the attack was the late application of a patch to fix a vulnerability. And I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago to the British Computer Society, and one of the other speakers had some research which showed that I think only about two dozen uh, patches are responsible for the majority of ransomware attacks. So ransomware gangs tend to use the same uh, strategy each time to pick on a particular uh, vulnerability, known vulnerability in software, and to attack it. So whenever you see uh, a data breach notification that says, we were the victim of a sophisticated cyber attack, oftentimes that's not true. Oftentimes it's just the case that they failed to patch the software and that allowed the attackers in. So that was the case here, and we know that regulators are unsympathetic when there's a known vulnerability in common software and those vulnerabilities aren't patched. The ICO was also critical of the fact that Tuckers didn't use multi-factor identification, also called MFA, to secure remote access to its servers. And again, this is a frequent criticism from regulators. And so what did the regulator say? Well, the regulator said that Tuckers hadn't used adequate uh, security to protect the personal, da uh, the personal data involved. And as we've said on these podcasts in the past, organizations under GDPR are obliged to use adequate technical and organizational measures called TOMS uh, that have to prevent, uh, they're designed to prevent data breaches happening. And TOMS uh, can include technical measures like Software that watches out for ransomware attackers can also include things like training. Now, one of the organizational measures here 
was that Tucker's had submitted themselves for an assessment under the Cyber Essentials Scheme. And the Cyber Essentials Scheme is a UK standard, if you like, for basic cyber hygiene, and is run by uh, effectively an arm of, of, of GCHQ. So they'd sat this assessment, but they'd failed it. And 10 months later, there was the attack, and the ICO said that uh, had they fixed the things that the Cyber Essentials Review highlighted, then they may have managed to prevent the attack. The ICO were also concerned that some of the data, which was exfiltrated by the gang, was beyond the retention period that Tucker's had set. But they did give them credit for a number of things, including engagement with the City of London Police and putting in place mandatory training after the event. Again, that O bit in Tom's. They also invested in new team members and they beefed up the security and invested in um, penetration testing on a regular basis. So they did quite a lot of actions after the breach to try and prevent a repeat and again, as we've said in the past, that's always a good strategy. If you can show the regulator that you have learned lessons, then you may be treated more leniently. So uh, uh, in, in short, uh, a, a breach that almost any of us could suffer at this stage, partly because this particular gang who attacked Tuckers, at least some of the gang, have dedicated themselves now to supporting Putin's war on the West. And they say that directly in response to sanctions on Russian entities, they will join the battle and put themselves at the disposal of Putin and attack Western targets. So we are seeing a rise in ransomware attacks still. And we are likely still for regulators to be somewhat unsympathetic, even in times of war, when organizations haven't taken basic steps like patching, like responding to reviews, and like implementing uh, MFA. Jonathan, uh, let me pick up on a couple of points you raised. Uh, number one, was there any evidence that the lack of MFAs uh, either caused or was approximate cause for the breach, or is it simply uh, a lack of having MFAs noted by the ICO? I think it's probably the latter, but I don't think we know enough details to know whether uh, the use of, uh, of MFA would have prevented it. What commonly happens in ransomware attacks is the credentials of one individual are compromised. That might be through a phishing attack, for example, might be through something called a watering hole attack, where they know, I don't know, that lawyers visit a particular legal website regularly, so malware is installed on that website. And uh, what will uh, commonly happen is the uh, criminals will then try and use those user credentials to escalate through the system. And sometimes MFA, uh, MFA will uh, prevent that because it will make sure that when people log on each time, they have uh, something to input into the system. So if the criminal hasn't got that thing, 
in its simplest form a random number generating token, then they can't log back in again. So uh, many attacks will be prevented by MFA. And of course, the advice of the NCSC and others is that they are a good measure to prevent uh, attacks taking place. In many areas of compliance, in addition to data protection, Jonathan, having a risk assessment performed but not addressing the issues raised by that risk assessment is viewed by the regulators in many ways as worse than not having a risk assessment. I was wondering if you could give us some thoughts on uh, do companies understand that it's a two-part process? It's not simply just getting an assessment or having someone come in and perform the audit, but it's actually uh, working through the recommendations based on the assessment or the audit um, as well. Uh, and then part two is, and don't take the position as, well, I'm not going to look because I'm afraid of what I'll find. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. Um, we have, uh, as, as you know, the the office originated in the UK and the lead character in that had this saying, if at first you don't succeed, remove all evidence that you ever tried. But that doesn't really work in a compliance context, particularly when you're trying to be, when you're being audited to what's effectively a government standard. So I think organizations need to be very careful about things like uh, audits. Uh, They need to make sure that if they're embarking on the process, they're prepared to take the recommendations on board and either adopt them or be able to give a reason why they have not adopted them. And that, and that could be the case in, in, in some cases. It could be that, that the recommendation that's made isn't appropriate to you for a number of reasons, but you're going to need to uh, detail what they are and a contemporaneous note is always best. And, and usually we can't be bothered isn't one of the valid reasons and we didn't have the resources to do it isn't a valid reason either so you've got when you commit to having an external accreditation then you've got to commit to doing remedial measures if you don't pass and then the other um, thing that organizations might want to do is almost have like a pre-review to highlight issues that they will need to put in place when they sit the full test the reason why you might do a pre-review is it may be possible to do that in a privileged environment, whereas the official certification is unlikely to be privileged. So what may well happen in cases like this is if lawyers representing potential claimants or plaintiffs find out that there was a failed review, it's likely that they're going to seek that either under um, using data subject rights under GDPR, which probably won't work, but that won't stop them trying, or by using pre-action discovery to try and get hold of that report, which they'll then share with funders to support the funding of litigation against the organization involved. And privilege is obviously a hot topic in data breaches at the moment, but once lost, it's never recovered. So there are definite lessons here on on taking 
accreditations and certification processes very seriously. Law firms in the United Kingdom and in the United States are regulated by additional regulatory bodies. In the United Kingdom, I believe you have a national body. In the United States, we have uh, regulation by state, so 51, 50 states and the District of Columbia. Um, is there any uh, additional uh, regulatory scrutiny brought by the Law Society on this matter, or is that something that the Law Society would, would not really concern itself with? had issued warnings in January 2021 about scams that were using Tucker's name. It isn't known whether this is connected to the ransomware incident or not. And it's also not known whether the SRA have a parallel investigation into Tucker's. The ICO said in its enforcement notice that it believed that Tucker's had failed to comply with its SRA obligations. But in some respects, that'll be up to the SRA to decide. And we simply don't know if there's an ongoing parallel investigation there. There may also be potentially additional investigations, given that these were criminal cases. And in some cases, they're likely to have been publicly funded by the uh, legal aid scheme in the UK. But again, we have no details of any of that yet. But it's important to remember for any corporation that you can have multiple regulators on the scene. That's particularly likely if your operations touch the EU because of something called the NIST directive. The NIST directive is currently still law in the UK, but there's a proposed extension to NIST called NIST2, which will put more uh, organizations in scope for this parallel reporting regime. And obviously, if you're in a regulated industry like healthcare or financial services, you're likely to have to report to those regulators as well. Jonathan, we're going to link to the uh, quarterly compliance client alert on the Tucker's case. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert in our show notes, which talks about this case. I know you'll find it fascinating and interesting. Also, I'm incredibly pleased to announce that the limited podcast series, Trial of the Century, the Enron Trial, was recently awarded as a special honoree by the Webbies. They are literally the Oscars of podcasting. So this is a huge award for myself, the Compliance Podcast Network, and my guest, Lauren Steffi, and the production team at One Stone Creative. I hope you will check it out if you haven't done so. It's available on the Compliance Podcast Network. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.